Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 176. I sat down with Trevor Valley. Some of you may recognize his name. Uh, he is a paleontologist rock star. His IMDb profile is fat with uh, experience. Doomsday, 10 Ways the World Will End, The Joe Rogan Experience, twice. Secrets of the Earth, Career Day, Big History, The uh, Ice Age Giants, Titans of the Ice Age, History of the World in Two Hours, Life After People, Prehistoric, Mysteries at the Museum, Attack of the Show, Ice Age, Dawn of the Dinosaurs, Nerdy Jobs, and uh, National Geographic uh, did a program on Woolly Mammoth, and he did that too. So much stuff. Really fascinating conversation. I very much enjoyed it. Uh, who doesn't love dinosaurs, for goodness sakes? I'm really bummed because I had, an, I had written something down on my notes, and I usually do the notes for myself just so things are fresh in my brain so that I can be engaged with my guest when I'm talking so I don't really look at my notes page. And because of that, I missed a question that I really wanted to ask him. I had heard that dinosaurs nurture they're young, some of them do. And so I texted him after the fact, and I was like, oh man, I forgot to ask you this. And this was his response. Uh, so I said, do, do dinosaurs nurture their young? And he says, we think so. A dinosaur named Trodon or Trudon? This is the problem with me answering this question because, or me uh, reading the question because I'm probably going to get the pronunciation wrong but I'm gonna go for it all right we think so a dinosaur named Trudon for example was found sitting on a clutch of eggs also an entire field of eggs young and adults of Malasauria was found showing group nesting behavior not all dinosaurs likely did that but we did find some that have so that's pretty cool you know you think of t-rex and well, he didn't mention T-Rex being a nurturer, but I'm just saying that the image of dinosaurs, usually your brain goes to T-Rex and uh, it's or a velociraptor and the, the idea of <laughs> them being all cuckoo to their babies, you know, it's funny. So anyway, I don't know. Obviously, in a cartoon brain like mine, that's where it goes. But it's really interesting to think that there were dinosaurs that were nurturing and good parents and and all that. So moving on from that, we talked about all sorts of things. We did go off topic a few times, but not too too much. Um, we stayed pretty focused. Really delightful. Again, I, I enjoyed very much talking to Trevor. Usual stuff. Of course, you hear this every episode, but here it is again. Social media, Hey Human Podcast. Uh, you can email me, Susan at Hey Human Podcast. If you go to the HeyHumanPodcast.com website, you'll find um, all sorts of things, including the Amazon portal. If you shop Amazon and do so through that Amazon portal on the on the website, it helps support Hey Human, helps keep it ad free. Um, there's also a donate button on that same main page. Uh, there's also a links page, and the links page is carefully curated by me. For every episode, you will find information about things we've talked about on with each guest we being me i don't know why i just referred to myself in the plural um and uh movies books whatever abstracts articles that kind of thing can be found on that links page rate and review hey human on itunes and wherever you find your podcast app thing my bobbers um and that's about it thank you for listening uh, i'm excited for this episode a lot of really cool ones coming up as well and uh yeah, here we go. Trevor Valley. 
What's up? How's it going? It's going well. How are you? Uh, I'm here, which is good, which is great, which is fucking fantastic. You are here. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to make sure that little light was no, not the, blinking. No, the little light is on. And a, another weird thing, these microphones, when they blink, that means they're muted. And when they don't blink, it means they're not muted, which seems backwards to me. But I don't know why it seems backwards to me. I feel like it should blink when it's saying, yes, we're on. Yes, we're on. Yeah, because it kind of like, well, I, I don't know. Well, maybe it's like a draw your attention. Yeah, I'm like it's like, hey, I'm blinking. That means I'm not hearing you. I, I don't know. It wouldn't be Te the first time that my thoughts were weird. opposite of what should be. <laughs> well, no, it's not just that. It's just technology is weird in general. That, that is true. I mean, it's what? Like stuff just does weird. It's like, for example, like there's a red light on this microphone. Yes. The human eye is better at seeing green light. So if you want it to be super obvious, why not make it green? That's a really good question. And green means go, red means stop, so... Yeah, so mute should be red. Right? Talking should be green. <sighs> Two-color LEDs are not expensive. Listen, Yeti microphone, if you are listening, we are recreating you a design, and we will get that off to you immediately. Yeti microphone? Yeti? Really? Yeah, they're Yetis. As in, like, you know, yeah, abominable snowman. Yeah, as in the Chinese... Or, well, Asian, I wouldn't just put it in China, abominable snowman. That's red. Yeah. What do you think about that? Let's get off with that. What do you <laughs> What do you think of the abominable snowman? First um, of all, let's just say you're a paleontologist. Let's just get yeah. that out of the way. Which is, uh, I, so, I think people think paleontologists are the people that, that talk only about what a human being looks like, you know, and all that. Yeah, and other we, people think it's just dinosaurs, but you're you're sort of the segue. We, we get that a lot. Um, most people confuse paleontology with, um, honestly with anthropology because is like <laughs> I did this study for a talk where I asked a hundred people in a bar what does it mean when I say paleontologist less than 30% went oh hey that's cool dinosaurs and stuff most people unfortunately were like oh you mean like Ross on friends I knew you were gonna say yeah that, <laughs> that or uh, some people kind of vaguely knew they're like oh that's dinosaurs right what would you think of Jurassic Park that kind of deal but Weirdly enough, so many of them are like, oh, yeah, they would transition from the, oh, like Ross on Friends to, hey, I took an anthro class once, too. Did Have you heard about this latest dig where they've discovered some ancient civilization? Well, and then, then there's I, archaeology and there's... Exactly. Right. They think paleo is other than a shitty diet fab. Um, but paleontology is the study of ancient life. But specifically, it is anything that's around... 10 to 11,000 years ago and older. So Ice Age mammals... Before the period we're in now. Yes, before right. the Holocene or the modern period. Right. So it, it ends with the Pleistocene. Basically, we're Pleistocene or Ice Age and everything all the way back to the beginning of, you know, the beginning of geologic time right. on this planet four and a half billion years ago. Which is 4 mind-boggling. There are now more people on the planet that represent... Twice as many people on the planet represented by years as how old the Earth is. Yeah. What? Yeah. And then it's even crazier. So right now, in 2019, we are closer to Tyrannosaurus Rex, 65 and a half million years ago, than Tyrannosaurus Rex was to Stegosaurus. They didn't live at the same time. Nope. No matter what the Flintstone says. Right. Although I don't think T-Rex was on the Flintstones. It was in Land of the Lost. Yeah, that was Land of the Lost. Yeah. How much does television fuck people up as far as knowledge with that stuff? Like, I think Television, too, movies, pop culture, yeah. all of that. A huge amount. 
Yeah. And absolutely Everybody knows the T-Rex couldn't even begin to put a turtleneck sweater on, and that's just... Well, weirdly enough, <laughs> I mean, it's like, that's a great segue into, like, the whole pop culture mentality of paleontology. And the Jurassic Park saga is a big problem in a lot of our lives. However, being from 1993, it has... It even... Um, it, it spurred the idea to be a paleontologist from some of my younger colleagues, which is really bad. That's badass. great. It's like if one person became a paleontologist, that's better than 10,000 people they, thinking they know dinosaurs because of Jurassic Park. Well, I think, too, people don't necessarily know that there are many periods of time that Jurassic only represents one of them. Right. And, then and the T-Rex isn't even from the Jurassic period. It's from the Cretaceous period. So it's like, it should have been called Cretaceous Park. That doesn't sound as good. No, it doesn't. No. It's kind of boring. <laughs> and I love, I read that book in one day from sunup until the next morning. I couldn't put it down. It's Michael a great Biden's book. Yeah. And I, I saw the movie and I thought, I hope everyone, and I know that sounds so nerdly to say, but honestly, the book is incredible. Yes. So good. Absolutely. The, yeah. the book is <clears throat> badass. Yeah. I still have problems with the book, just like I have problems with the movie. Right. Um, the biggest thing is the velociraptors. They're not that tall. Yeah, they're they not, were more, they're kind of um, fast and shorter, right? Yeah. If, and if, feathered? Or, yeah. Yeah. They're about three times the size of a house cat. That's about it. They're, yeah. they're about a... What an annoying house pet. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're basically... <laughs> so, you know, you know the kid in the beginning where he's like, oh, it's like an angry turkey? He was right. Yeah. An actual Velociraptor is small, very, very small. So Velociraptor sounded cool. Deinonychus did not. So they went with the name, but the build of Deinonychus. Oh, interesting. And they made it slightly bigger, which ironically, then they found Utah Raptor, which is actually kind of even bigger than Deinonychus. And is that a basketball team, the Utah Raptors? I feel weirdly enough, I think they are. Oh my god! But I was it's totally also guessing. but it's no, it's the Toronto Raptors. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought. All is right. The I know there Raptors? is a Raptor somewhere. I only follow hockey. Oh, that so, would have been good. Yeah, I only follow hockey. I don't follow baseball. Is it or too basketball. warm in here? I just read the AC gets no. turned off for the. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. So it's interesting. Interesting to me, firstly, the Velociraptors are pretty badass as far as the yeah. little critters, so yeah. I can understand why they do that in the movie. Um, why? It bring, I, I'm always why were the animals so freaking big back in the day? You know, uh, woolly mammoths and saber-toothed tigers and dire wolves actually existed and all oh, yeah. that stuff. What? But dire wolves weren't that big. Saber-toothed cats were large. They're about the size of a Siberian tiger. And there was like a bear that was huge. Short-faced bear. Yeah. Yeah. Those are awesome. So uh, the short-faced bear, basically heavier than a grizzly and taller than a polar bear. That's, it's, it's that's a monster. 10 and, feet tall and it, or something? 12. Jeez. <laughs> standing on its legs. Yeah. So on, its, on, it, so on all fours, like a bear would normally be, it would yeah. be about six feet tall. So like so, our height. So crazy. And then it would stand up and it would be you standing on top of me. It was just like, ah. So why were these animals so big back then? They just were. They had no, you know, they they had limited predators. Like when you're a tyrannosaur or, you know, you have to be big to eat big things. But then you had either big, even bigger stuff like sauropods, all that. Mammoths were just huge. But the bigger mammoths were actually further back in time. Like the steppe mammoth, the, uh, the predecessor, the woolly mammoths, Colombian mammoths and all that. They were monstrous like truly huge and you had you know 25 foot tall sloths 
like uh, like make Ethereum down in South America, stuff like that. They're, they're Flash, just, like the yeah, like the super. Moving. But think very large and plant eating and like very large, like the size of a small car. I feel like that was maybe bigger. what the Flintstones wanted in Dino, even though they shaped them like the ill-fated brontosaurus that is not really a bront. I mean, oh, no, it is. we're going to skip around a lot. But oh, that's fine. All these myths and things I think I know that are probably horribly wrong. <laughs> Didn't they find the body of a brontosaurus in the head of somebody else and they stuck it together like, oh, that's not right or something? So it, there was the brontosaurus and then the apatosaurus. And the apatosaurus was technically found first. So they thought all brontosauruses were apatosauruses. So because Apatosaurus was named first, they went back and went, oh, since it's all the same thing, then everything is an Apatosaurus. Well, years and years and years later, recently, I think in the last handful of years, somebody went around and measured all the Apatosauruses, every single specimen. Turns out that the previous idea of the Apatosaurus being named first that way, so Apatosaurus was named first, then the Brontosaurus. So the Apatosaurus had um, uh, had a protected status. So because it was named first, that's the name they would go with. I, I naming conventions in taxonomy are ridiculous to begin with, um, but it turns out that there are not just one species of Apatosaurus, there's actually two or three species of Apatosaurus and Brontosaurus. So Brontosaurus is real. It does exist. But it's S- not what they thought it was. No, it's it's still a sauropod, but it's just a slightly different one. And what is a sauropod? A sauropod uh, is eater? the uh, plant eater. Yeah. Long neck, long tail, really big. Okay. Okay. Like semi-truck with the, with the tail and a head. And all of these creatures... So firstly, paleontology, you study things... Uh, it, the first was the first known thing I think that you y'all found was a sea sp- or a sponge, three point eight billion year old. Oh, stromatolite. Sponge. Yeah, stromatolite. It's um uh like a fossil fungus. It's crazy. So yeah. fungus, uh, uh, trilobite. Uh, Trilobites. Yeah, uh, the fish, the the mammals. Yep. Uh, Insects. Viruses. Yeah. All, which freaks. That freaks me out to think that y'all are digging around in some viruses and. Well, funny, yeah. I was in Siberia uh, digging up woolly mammoth carcasses, and. Who gets to say that? I love that. <laughs> not not a whole lot of people, no. which is kind of rad. But um, National Geographic uh, told me that in order to do that, I had to carry along a canister of uh, Cipro, the anti-anthrax drug, just in case we uncovered some sort of primordial anthrax. I mean, it's not a dumb idea. It's not, since actually huge herds of reindeer have been killed by primordial anthrax, or like not really primordial, but ye olde anthrax. Uh, recently, in that's the last the name few of years, my pub in England. <laughs> I, th- I think there's a band that's opening at the Echo next week. Yield the Anthrax. It's like it's old Scott Ian. <laughs> Just like wow, I've almost got the beard. I could almost <laughs> you do a long yeah. Beard. I could be I could be like the the Yield the Anthrax Scott Ian cover band. There we go. Renaissance Fair big beard. I mean, let's take it on the road. <laughs> and there we go. That works. You're a singer. We can do this. Let's do this. <laughs> I could play bass. So <laughs> done. Bass and harmonica. That's my deal. So were you freaked out at all by that? No, I wasn't. I wanted to eat the mammoth carcass. Oh. I wanted to cook part of it and eat it. That you found? Yeah. 
And why did you want to grok it? What did you? Why did you want to do that? Just to say that I did and to see if I could, because oh. it's been preserved. And if you cook it while it's defrosting, it should at least stay somewhat together. And it has been done before. Interesting. Um, some uh, some locals had uh, like have prepared it. Some other scientists have done it. Uh, I think it was even served at like the Adventurers Club once. Something bizarre like that. I think that's anecdotal, but I'm. But Do you think I, it tastes I, like chicken? Uh, probably just tastes it's probably like beefy. Meat. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, probably beefy. Like buffalo, maybe. Yeah, or, I would think so. Which is delicious. Yes. Sorry, vegans. Oh, yeah. Well, all right. There's but, that. I mean, my my dad was way ahead of his time when we were little. He used to make buffalo. He was, you know, he did a lot of the cooking. My mom did too, but dad would make buffalo like spaghetti and stuff. That's oh, right really on. Good. Oh, it's super lean. Yeah. It's super healthy. You get kind of like the protein sweats from it. I really like buffalo. The protein sweats. Yeah. It's like you ingest too much protein. Your body's like, That's I need to purge. I don't think I've had that happen. Uh, eat a whole, it's like, come to Korean barbecue with me one oh night. And it's just like, there we go. All right. <laughs> Let's, okay. Now I'm going to go back. You, I know oh, yeah, yeah. we're going to we, bounce we, all over the we place. Kinda, we kind of just jumped right no, into it. No, it's okay. It's ADD. I love it. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> you're on this so you were on a show for National Geographic mm -hmm. about mammoths yeah that was, it was, how did they did they just say hey you seem like a smart guy or did they already know of you uh, you're, you're you're a rock star right in paleontology kind of I mean not like, I mean on. not really <laughs> I'm I'm just kind of like the loud mouth that just okay. does a bunch of stuff sure um I don't see I don't publish I don't like write research articles and all that i go out and find the stuff that people write the research articles about okay um and my my absolute um skill is in what's called mitigation paleontology whereas when you've got um large construction projects going on paleontologists have to be there in case you uncover any fossils that's how i ended and up everything shuts down everything shuts down blow a big whistle tell everybody to clear the area i call in a team and we dig it out um we found a mammoth rib cage no sorry not a mammoth uh i misspoke a whale rib cage surrounded by two, three, four hundred some odd shark teeth and part of a fossil coral reef in downtown Los Angeles. That is amazing. Yeah. And some of the teeth were meg teeth, were megalodon, so... So this brings yeah. me to the point of why paleontology, because I know that there are people that think, well, let's let's set aside the people that think the Earth isn't very old anyway, but let's just go with it. Everybody's twitch, got, twitch, yeah, yeah, twitch. Yeah, that would make me twitchy. Um, but let's set aside the people that think, well, what's the point of studying things that are <clears throat> millions and millions and millions of years old? And for a curious mind, firstly, I think, well, why wouldn't you? But let's go deeper into that. The well... We like to say that knowing history is so like the keys of the past to open the doors of the future. It's kind of a cliche kind of thing, but it's true. If we can find how animals evolved, uh, figure out where our own species came from and how we evolved back from, you know, early primates and suddenly walking bipedal and using tools and then flying planes. Uh, that's a kind of a jump from using tools to flying planes, but we did it anyway. Um, figuring out where we're from and where what has lived on the planet before us, that's just amazing because we're all we're we're a species on this planet. We haven't left this planet. We may not be able to leave this planet. Um, that's a whole Don't other tell Elon. Yeah, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> Excuse me. Oof. Um, <laughs> Uh, but being being part of this planet, understanding what else was here, is like our most previous ancestors, 
like about 200,000 mil, uh, sorry, 200,000 years ago, when they're crossing the Bering, Bering Land Bridge, when they're uh, in Africa, expanding into Europe and into Asia and then over, you know, over into Canada and Alaska and all that, they were walking around with animals that only look kind of similar to things today, like big furry elephants, large saber-toothed cats, crazy shit like that. That's just amazing to think that in our own human history, we were encountering these animals. Why wouldn't you want to know about that? And to think of massive dinosaurs, huge sharks, massive marine reptiles, flying reptiles, to learn, like, the flight has evolved numerous times. Mm. Insects, mammals, reptiles, birds. We don't really count because we don't have wings. We have to make wings. Um, some people argue that, well, man can fly, but no, we can't. You can't. Don't tell it, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but look how it bad it ended. It ended. Yeah, it did. Look how bad it ended for Icarus. It ended really badly. Yeah. Knowing about the history of the planet is super important because we can do things like realize about climate change if we study the climate of the past. It's like okay, we know we have this amount of CO two in the atmosphere during this geologic time period. It went up a little, then it went down, then it went up. Oh, now it's skyrocketing because of things like man and industry we can see that from the past so when the argument well the climate has always changed well yes it has mm -hmm. absolutely correct however it's changing rapidly and horrifically now because of us exponentially That's, i think yeah yeah the word that exactly we can now we can study mm -hmm. that and figure that out so studying the past studying paleontology dead shit is a lot of fun and it's important, at least to us, for the normal person, unfortunately not really. Uh, you ask any four or five-year-old, however, and dinosaurs are the most important thing in the world. True, but then when they're six and seven, it's... They've lost it. Yeah. But they know they are encyclopedic, almost, of their knowledge. It's it's extraordinary. What do you think it is that kids are so drawn to dinosaurs? They're their power? They're fascinated by these giant things with teeth. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, you've got the family dog if or the family cat, if you're lucky, the family lizard. Sure. Something like that. And then you go into a natural history museum, like here in L.A., and you walk in the front door and you see the dueling dinos, a T-Rex and a Triceratops, iconic animals locked in this dance that they're trying to kill each other. You're like, Mom, Dad, what's that? Wow, big teeth, huge thing. It's big. It's, it's fun. It's like, why do kids like fire trucks and or, airplanes? Or wrestling. Yeah, it's really big, cool, fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I want to find that. I remember my dad used to take me and my mom both to even to the Natural History Museum in Seattle. That's mm -hmm. where I grew up. And uh, man, so freaking cool. It's it's so much fun. Yeah. But then they kind of lose it as yeah. they get over older because it's old. Yeah. <laughs> it's old. It's old stuff. It's like, oh, I don't want to get dirty. I don't want to. It's like, and then you start, you know. You're into music and then art, but that's why music and art and art museums and all that get way more funding than natural history museums. Because, mm. I mean, not to knock natural history museums, I mean, hell, I used to work at two of them and I've volunteered at a few more and I've done research at a few more than that. 
they're large, dusty places full of a bunch of old dead shit. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> I, I am. Some natural history museums have live examples, like the Living Collections and uh, NHM in Los Angeles. Um, that's really cool, like Butterfly Pavilion, Spider Pavilion, all of that. That's a lot of fun. But a majority of it is rocks, fossils, old, you know, dead civilization stuff, and old taxidermy mounts. Mm -hmm. And it just feels old and dusty. Yeah. But kids don't like old and dusty. But if they realize what the other things are, it's like, hey, by the way, if you study geology, you can find all the rocks that fluoresce under UV light. Sure. What? That's cool. Yeah, yeah, you can go rock hounding at night with a UV spotlight. Like out in Joshua Tree. It's like, whoa! And everything's glowing. So you find cool. some soda lights, stuff like that, and it glows. <laughs> mm -hmm. You could find fossils. But you can go beyond that because natural history museums also need... Some have living collections, so they need people to study insects or birds or reptiles. You need herpetologists, marine biologists, stuff like that. You can go out and photograph. Natural history museums need biologists as well. There's so many different sciences that a natural history museum focuses on when people just think, oh, it's just a big collection of old dusty stuff like a library or a dead zoo. The amount of times I heard, oh, you work in a dead zoo. Like, well, yeah, I kind of do, but it's like a, a cool I feel like a dead one. zoo would be very popular if they just rebranded right? it. Right. <laughs> to dead zoo, you might get more people. Right, the Natural, Natural History Museum and dead zoo. There you go. There'd be a line out the door. Totally. When, when you find things, getting back to the viruses, when you find mm -hmm. things like that, um, the CDC jump in and say, ooh, what's that? What can we... Uh, no, this, well, the CDC is the Center for Disease Control only for the United States. When you're out in Russia, they don't really care. Oh, for some reason, I thought it was a global... Uh, Not, is it? I, I, thought, I always thought it was just U.S. Oh, okay. I, I'm probably wrong. Oh, there's I a just, World Health Organization and all that. I'm sure. not... I'm I just not figured a, they all in, talk to each other because why wouldn't they? They, they probably yeah. do. And uh, when there was an anthrax outbreak, there were warnings. But, um, yeah, I always I always thought it was a U.S. Uh, US agency. I could totally be wrong. I'm not a virologist or sure. anything like that but they do talk to each other and they would get involved and you have to have immunizations i had to have a specific set of immunizations suggested by the cdc and and uh, by my health provider to even travel there because there's things like spanish influenza that i've never been exposed to or various things like that yeah. so yay <laughs> how do you that prepare for uh something like the mammoth that whole Oh, that that entire that entire trip was part of my like fucking weird. How so? So, going back to what you said, it's like, oh, did they know about you? It's like, well, kind of. So, I started working at the tar pits in two thousand eight. La Brea. At, at the La Brea tar pits, and uh, in in early late August, early September two thousand eight. The end of September, Dirty Jobs came by and filmed, and I was asked to, you know, assist and open a uh, open a plaster jacket full of mammoth fossils for Mike Rowe to check that out, and then another TV show uh, aired, and then another one, and then another one, and all this, and out of the out of nowhere, I get a phone call from a British production company, and they're like, "Hey, we saw you on a few different shows." 
Um, do you want to go to Siberia and dig up woolly mammoths? Like, hmm, let me think about it. Duh. Uh, of course. Yes, please. Wh what are we doing? Oh, well, we're getting a National Geographic grant, and it's going to be on the National Geographic channel, and you're going to have to do this, that, the other. I'm like, um, yeah, okay, sure. I don't mind. You please. And that was March. A yeah, March or April. And then I'm on a plane in late June. It happens so fast. And this was all in 2013. And all of a sudden, I'm flying to London. I'm there for maybe 13 hours. Then I'm flying to Moscow. And then I'm flying all the way across Russia to this town called Yakutsk in the, um, in the Saka Republic. And then helicopters, armored personnel carriers, um four-wheel drive boats and we're out in the middle of nowhere digging in permafrost looking for mammoths why all the security to keep you protected from what um weirdly enough to keep us protected from illegal tusk hunters because they look for the tusks in the permafrost because tusks so only a handful of permits are given out every year to find and recover mammoth ivory. There's a massive black market. People go out, find the tusks, and ship them to other countries illegally. Other people come into the country illegally uh, over the Chinese and Russian border to try and find mammoth tusks to take back to carve because elephant ivory is uh, is verboten. It's you know you can't trade in it anyway. But mammoth ivory. You're not you're, even I think allowed to sell old ivory anymore, right? It's, no, it's a big no no. Yeah. yeah, but mammoth ivory perfectly legal because there's no animals to exploit. There's plenty of science to exploit because mm -hmm. they don't bother to index any of the bones or anything so they come across a carcass they pull all the bones out of the way dump them into a field and then grab the tusks and bale not very scientific is not it? at all and it was how long were you on that day seven weeks Ooh. but we started in the far northeast of siberia and then i went all the way to the far northwest of siberia to a different site and so I was bouncing back and forth. It was something like 12 time zones. And it was during the White Nights. No wonder you wanted to eat some mammoth. Yeah. Probably I starving. I wanted to eat anything. Um, because we were in these very small towns. We were rationing food because we were with National Geographic. We didn't want to buy out an entire town of provisions. So it was it was, it was jarring. It, it was something I'd never done before. I've never been in that position. What a, I, what a wonderful thing. Though. It was so cool. Yeah. Uh, until I got back, then I went into a, uh, like a, a, a supermarket here in East Hollywood and had a panic attack just simply because of all of the food. <laughs> I'm just looking at like all of the spoilage and going, that's literally, yeah. I could feed an entire Russian town for a year mm -hmm. in the produce section. This America has definitely a lot of perks yeah it was it was a weird trip but it was fun and i was completely out of my element which i thoroughly enjoyed and because i'm when i do field work i'm either out in the middle of the desert doing mitigation paleontology like in construction sites like huge solar farms or i'm in a major city or i'm in the badlands of montana 
or Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, places like that. Not all like they're hot. It's gross. You've got biting flies, things like that. But then we're in Siberia and an Arctic thunderstorm hits and we're digging in permafrost and caves that are below freezing and rappelling off of cliffs. I'm like, what the hell did I sign up for? It was, it was insane. It was so much fun. So we had to befriend tusk hunters that knew of sites where there were tusks and convinced them that we wanted to go there and not take the tusks, but to survey the animals and figure out what's there. And Didn't you want to take the tusks though to put in your museums and things? Eventually, it would be cool if they went to, say, the Northeastern Federal University or the um, Zoological Museum in St. Petersburg. That would have been rad, but it just didn't happen. Work that way. Because the moment it's found, they would be like, yeah, sure, take your pictures, do your measurements. And then give me GP that phone. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and then we'll take the tusk. You can have, like, the skull. Here, have the skull, the tooth. And and it was it's so bizarre as a paleontologist, I don't own fossils. I don't go out and buy fossils. I don't eat, I don't do anything like that because I consider it unethical uh, to privately own fossils that should be in museums. These, like, there were people, like, literally gifting me mammoth ivory, mammoth hair, a mammoth tooth, horse teeth, hooves, all, like, all prehistoric stuff. And I'm like, I, 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 I don't, I can't Can you take it back this. and give it to them? So I took them to one of the universities, and they're like, oh, no, we have too much of that. Oh, I'm like, but, I, okay. An embarrassment of riches of old things. Yeah, I'm, like, sitting here, like, like, with handfuls of stuff. I'm like, cool. Could you guys do export paperwork for me so I feel at least slightly ethical about mm -hmm. this? And I'll take it to other museums and say, hey, do you need a juvenile mammoth tooth or anything like that? So they did that. I took them to a few museums and they're like, nah, we don't need any of that. I'm like, but I have like GPS position. I've got pictures. Everything's in C2. The whole thing. They're like, no, we don't need that. It's cool, though. I'm like, great. So now, weirdly enough, I have a very small collection of Siberian fossils with all of this paperwork in manila folders going, that's this catalog number, that's this catalog number. You can open a dead zoo. Yeah, right? Totally. It's like, here are my five pieces. <laughs> the Valley Collection. Ta-da! Tooth, hoof, <laughs> things like that. Call the Black Mirror people. They can do an episode with it. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. That'd be rad. <laughs> That'd be really cool. You, you mentioned the... the the problem with people that are there digging, trying to get the tusk and running away and leaving the site damaged. What about uh, private paleontologists who, that, because I assume they're doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, commercial paleontologists or private paleontologists. Um, there's two, and there is a distinction. A private paleontologist is somebody who's not associated with a museum but we'll go out and find things and then hopefully turn that information in like to a museum to their local museum stuff like that there are there are amateurs and professionals alike that go out and just find shit and that's rad as long as it's documented photos are taken gps locations are taken and then you go tell the bureau of land management or the national park service or your local museum or anything like that so it can be recovered correctly then you have a group of paleontologists that their entire idea is to go out find things or pay 
people in land, say like Montana, you go and say you find a rancher who has, uh, has land that intersects the Hell Creek formation and you pay them say like five grand just to go it's like oh yeah i'm just going to here have some money i'm going to go check out your property and whatever i find i get to keep here here's like five thousand dollars ahead of time cool and then you go out and then you find a tyrannosaur and it's way more valuable than five thousand dollars i would imagine exactly and then they turn around they keep it and then they auction it off for millions of dollars the thing is, natural history museums can't afford those fossils, so they go into private collections. You have private, you know, you have commercial paleontologists that are making a bunch of money, who are being paid to find stuff, dig it out, prepare it, and then auction it off. This stuff should go into a museum. If it's in a private collection, we can't study it. And there's so much out there that needs to be studied needs to be properly connect collected going to some fossil shows or even rock sh rock and mineral shows you're like whoa that's like a woolly mammoth tooth where did you find that oh somewhere in canada well where is somewhere do you have gps coordinates do you have a picture of it in c2 was there any more what's in c2 you keep uh, referencing that uh, in c2 means in position ah. so when you when you find a fossil the moment you uncover it you get out a scale bar or a ruler or whatever you have on hand a dollar bill even works credit card things that are yeah of a nominal size and you take a picture of it you take a picture of it from uh, at least three angles and where it's found in the rock or in the ground. So that's in situ, in position, in original position. So that way, when it's disturbed, you can go back and reference it going, okay, well, we found that. That looks like that's another bit to the left or up above it or below it. So uh, finding something and finding and documenting it in position is super important because fossils can tumble they can erode out of the wall and reposition themselves water comes through exactly they can be water rise. eroded absolutely so it's super important to see how the animal was laid out it's called taphonomy or uh, how the animal is positioned in death so um, a great example is zed zed is a mammoth that was found at the tar pits during uh, the la county museum of arts uh, underground car park dig. They were they were digging out an underground parking structure, and they found a whole bunch of asphalt deposits. One of them was a nearly complete mammoth. If you see everything was sketched out and photographed of Zed in position how he was found, he was spread out like he was deposited in a slight river flow. He died, and then was spread out a little bit by running water. And then trapped in uh, trapped in asphalt and um, uh, trapped in uh, asphalt and sediment, which is really cool. And La Brea tar pits is naturally occurring asphalt. Because, yes. Okay. Yeah. There's yeah. no. There's not actually any tar at the tar pits. Hmm. Tar is man-made. Hmm. Asphalt is oil that seeps to the surface, and the lighter material evaporates off, leaving a big sticky mess. Why do they call it the tar pits? Because early Spanish settlers called it uh, volcanoes de Brea or the volcanoes of tar, because to them, brea was tar pitch, which was plant material that has been thickened, burned, thickened, added with charcoal, and reduced to like a waterproofing material. It's nearly the same thing. It's just pitch, tar, that's man-made. Asphalt 
is uh, is it's uh, is a naturally occurring substance. It's crude oil that seeps to the surface, and your lighter materials, your kerosenes, all of that, all evaporate off, leaving big, thick, nasty hydrocarbon chains, and it's a big, black, sticky mess. In theory, then anywhere there are oil dikes, there's or derricks, there's going to be likely fossil. There could be. Absolutely. So, do you? Do worldwide paleontologists go to places like Saudi Arabia or to Canada or wherever there's a derrick and say, hey, do you mind if we poke around here? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. The Alberta fossil, the Alberta tar sands, there's a massive fossil deposit in Ecuador, whereas uh, um, uh, outside of, uh, I think it's Quito. Um, don't remember. Uh, I, it, We've got paleo and keto now. I want yeah. you all to be listening. Oh, no. <laughs> Q-U-I-T-O, not K-E-T-O. <laughs> uh, uh, no, not those diets, please. Cavemen, cavemen ate grains, people. Deal with it. What uh, grains? They, they had grains back then. Cavemen, Neanderthals, all have, that. Did they, they didn't have wheat. They that's didn't a, have wheat, no, but they still, they still had uh, grains and sorghum and all of sorghum, that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But it's just like the whole like, oh, no carbs. Cavemen didn't eat carbs. They only ate meat. No, they didn't. They were, they were eating plant material. They ate a lot of plants. A whole lot of plants. Yeah, because meat was probably not as easy scarce. to come by. Yeah. Very scarce. Um, sorry, I just went on just that cheered. tangent. <laughs> I went on that tangent. They, they just cheered, but you're omnivores. Um, eat meat in regulation. It's good for you. Um, in Ecuador, there's like massive, massive sloth fossils and all that trapped in asphalt. There's fossils and uh, sands in Carpinteria from uh, the Carpinteria asphalt uh, uh, asphalt vats. There's there's stuff all over places. Mm. It's just unfortunately a lot of it has been uh, developed over. Like Saudi Arabia, there could be fossils. But I don't think anybody's gone there. Because, it's like Disneyland over there, right? Yeah. Uh, Texas, same same things. You have massive amounts of like, oh, let's set up a city around the oil deposits. That city is covering tons of stuff. That's why mitigation mitigation paleontology is important because we can find things that may be under cities, like whale rib cages. Which is so weird. Literally downtown LA, steps from the 110 freeway. That doesn't surprise Whale me, though, gate. because the water level here is, it's right there's the ocean. Yeah, so yeah. it's not a surprise to me that at one point the water was higher and it recedes and all that. Oh, yeah. So. Seven million years ago, you had water covering downtown LA. Mm-hmm. And it was deep enough that a whale died and bloated and burst on the surface its body did and then it fell to the seafloor and a whole bunch of things came what we call a whale fall came and ate it and yep there's a whale rib cage and hundreds of shark's teeth i bet you find a lot in poop too find a lot of what just specimens of things i've never found a coprolite i've never found fossil poo i i have some it's in storage in Nashville, but oh, I have right. them because my grandparents well, I mean, they used to go do that. Technically, technically, I did because I did remove plant material from a frozen woolly mammoth intestine. Fun, but I mean, it wasn't like date night, right? <laughs> it's still in my fridge. Um, 
I sent some off for uh, for uh, specimen testing, but I still have all the main samples in my, in my freezer at home. Oh, but it has a big "Don't eat this" on it. Yes, yes, it does. Well, it's in it's in a big Ziploc bag <clears throat> with a big "Don't eat this" uh, on. Absolutely, because it's like, oh, there's like some vodka, a little bit of absinthe, some ice cream, and then way in the back, frozen test tubes of random mammoth stomach content. Yeah, it's bizarre. My life is weird. Love it. When you, so uh, the, I'm trying to think how to say this, uh, Ernest Rutherford, he was mm-hmm. the guy that thought, oh, hey, if we check out the isotope of this thing and see how far it's degraded, mm-hmm. we can see how old it is. Yeah. That Carbon dating. changed everything. Absolutely. Let's talk about that. Carbon dating is amazing um, because when you, when you study the amount of um, carb, um, I think it's C12 to C14, um, or it's 14 to 12. I always get those two confused, um, weirdly enough. But finding out that you can, when something dies, it has a stable amount of carbon in it. And then you can go back and go, so if it has an, if it has X amount of carbon, we can, we can compare it to <clears throat> known levels and figure out where it is. That changed paleontology at least recent paleontology, Ice Age stuff. That's awesome. Because then we're like, oh, saber-toothed cats, 11,500 years ago, most of them went extinct. Oh, this mammoth, that's you know 30,000 years and all that. Then everything starts to get a little fuzzy because it doesn't work too reliably past around 80, 85,000 years ago. So you can't really carbon date a dinosaur. Well, how do they know then, that, for example, that sponge that's 538 million years old, how do they know that? That's a big-ass number. There are other forms of dating. So you've got, like, lead-lead dating, potassium-argon dating, um, thorium dating. And same idea to see where same it's broken idea. down. Yeah, X element over its half-life turns into Y element. So if you have, you know, X amount of Y and X amount of X, you can figure out how old it is. So uh, potassium argon dating is used uh, extensively for fossils and mainly for the, uh, the geologic layers that fossils are found in. So that, that old, oh, you find that you date the fossil, you date the layers using the fossils and you date the fossils using the layers, that circular argument doesn't <clears throat> apply because we're doing both. We're dating the layers using one radiometric technique, we're dating the fossils using another one, and then we're comparing and contrasting and figuring out, oh, we're within half a million years. So that's good. So it's there. there's more than just carbon dating. A lot of people think there's only carbon dating. And there's, oh, what? there's one of them that, it's something like three billion years is is the approximate uh approximate half-life so you can date really old things like meteorites and really cool stuff like that it's so much fun it's exciting yeah and that's that's the thing paleontology uses so many different uh so many different um sciences sciences. Mm -hmm. it's not just oh i go out and find dead things i do and then i hand it off to a you know a, a radiometric uh, dating professional lab um, or lab. I if I don't know what that bone is, I you know get an opinion from an osteologist. You've got bi- uh, you've got people that study uh, biomechanical movement and how muscles work and all that. Uh, like John Hutchinson, he's awesome. It literally his entire thing is how does shit move. 
And it's like, oh, well, if we put a large reptilian-like tail on the back of a chicken, how does it move? Oh, it leans forward and balances out that tail, and you have a dinosaur. It's, it's really neat. When did you realize, not you personally, but the science realized that uh, birds are dinosaurs? That's been around for a long, long time. It's only gotten very popular lately. Um, and there was a theory way back that there's no way dinosaurs had anything but, you know, scaly, monstery things. Mm-hmm. And now that they know, no, wait, they, as we spoke spoke about earlier, they have feathers, yeah. some of them. Like velociraptors, feathered. Actually, most dromaeosaurs, feathered. Um, possibility of T-Rex having feathers. Um, or at least, like, proto-feathers. Like a, I hope it was on his little arms. Yeah, like, right? Oh, Ima- imagine that. T-Rex with, like, tiny little wings like an ostrich. Love it. Because there you go. That's the t- an ostrich with a tail. There, it's the. So they've been around. The first time I ever read it before I was a paleontologist was a book called The Dinosaur Heresies by uh, by Backer, and that was like, I'm wait a minute, what dinosaurs with feathers and birds as dino? That makes no sense. That's weird. And then fast forward to today, where we're trying to figure out which dinosaurs didn't have feathers. Because you have examples of even things you wouldn't expect, like Triceratops, for example. One of its early ancestors had quill-like feathers on its tail. May have had them more places, too. Didn't Stegosaurus had something like that, too, didn't it? The, uh, the, the pointy things on the end? Uh, those were tail spikes. Oh, okay. Um, that was for defense. Mm-hmm. But the, it's not just necessarily feathers, but it's also... Think of like think back to when we're kids. Dinosaurs were like shades of brown, green, and gray. Well, if they're related to birds, and birds are some of the brightly colored animals on the planet, like who says tyrannosaurs weren't black with neon blue, like a bird of paradise, or parrots, or conures, or types of parrots, uh, but anything like that? It, holy crap! Yeah, you can have your LBBs, your little brown birds, you know, your small brown dinosaurs or a gray pigeon or something like that. But think about some of the pigeons you see. Look at a peacock. Yeah. I wonder what a dinosaur comp for a peacock would be. That would be rad, just like foomp. Yeah. <laughs> I Who knows? The, the, um, the scales on Stegosaurus could have been brightly colored and for display purpose. Is there any way to know much about the mating ritual of dinosaur? No, we can infer by somehow how some birds and how some birds act and just the general structure of the animal. Like Stegosaurus would be difficult. The female would probably have to lay down or something like that um, because of said tail spikes and and back plates and all that. But everything else is kind of self-explanatory. Like yeah, it's just, you know, animal Bird style. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Animal style. Animal style. <laughs> there we go. Trent Reznor. <laughs> not, Shout out. Not, not, the, not the in and out. No, not that. <laughs> Wait, oh. wow. Yeah, that's that's kind of pervy. The whole in and out, you know, like in and out burger. Mm. Like in and out animal style. I wonder if they've ever thought about I that. I bet they have. I'm yeah, sure that's point. exactly why they do it. <laughs> and yet they still have like, like uh, uh, Christian um, uh, Bible... Uh, is it an out a Christian restaurant? Yeah. I knew that Chick Fil A was, but mm-hmm. and it, uh, on the I think it's on the bottom of their shake cups and their fries. They have things like you know John three sixteen or I, Isaiah, you know, sure, you know, different things like that. 
Um, thou shall not slurp. Yeah, there you go. It's like, thou shall not eat at other fast food chains. I don't like, I'm an L.A. native and I don't like In-N-Out. I'm a weird one. I've had their fries and a milkshake. I went um, the other, not the other day, maybe a month ago. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I don't like their fries. They're too Crazy. gummy. They're, they're very, but they're gluten-free. They don't put them in the same, I'm celiac, so they don't put oh. them in the same. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm a weirdo. <clears throat> oh, I, I think celiac's cool, quite honestly. Oh, <laughs> great! <laughs> no, I do. I, I, it's, I, it's, it's one of those, like, super rare kind of rad things. It's, well, Ashkenazi, my, my father's mm-hmm. Ashkenazi, and, you know, a lot of inbreeding back in the day. Uh, I know, my mom. Yeah, so yeah. that, that kind of screws up the genes here and there. Yeah, I'm, uh, 28% of K, K haplotype, <laughs> and I'm like, K1. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's all Ashkenazi. God, I can't I'm about it. two point, was it 2.7 Neanderthal? That's exciting. Oh, I forgot what mine was. I I think you may have more than me. I think I may be 2.3 or 2.4. I just love stuff like that. Yeah, 23 and me. Heck yeah. <laughs> sponsor her show. <laughs> no, I don't no, want sponsors. No, no sponsors. Because then I have to be beholden to them. And Good I, point. And I don't want somebody going, oh my god, you had so-and-so on there, or you said this thing, and then they right. go, psych. Or, Good point. Yeah, I like to not do that anyway <clears throat> where are you with dinosaurs warm or cold-blooded um undecided i find that so interesting because forever and ever i remember being a kid like oh all dinosaurs are reptilian they're yeah. cold blood blah 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 blah. but and then you have birds which are warm-blooded just threw everything off but then you have something called gigantothermy which is animals that are so big they can regulate their own body temperature simply because of their size is that why the stig- stegosaurus had the plates? So could be. The that could be heat radiation. Same with Dimetrodon, which is an old mammal-like reptile, a synapsid from the Permian period. That could be heat regulation. Uh, Triceratops, the frill, could be That's the, d- the thing around the, uh, yeah, like thing around the head. Elizabethan. Right. Yeah, it's like the big collar. Yeah. Some of them have big spikes. Some of them are folded over. So they're, they could be defense and display, but possibly they had veins going all throughout uh, the thin skin on that bone. But tiny brain or big brain? Did these... Depending on the depending on the animal, like Velociraptors had decent sized brains for their size. Stegosaurus literally had something the size of a walnut um, for an animal that large. But brain size doesn't necessarily mean they're dumb lumbering beasts. It just means they're they have a small brain to body ratio. I mean, you got octopi, which are hyper intelligent. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you've got humans, which we've got a fairly good brain to body size ratio. And depending on the human, you know, is whether or not it's like they can be hyper intelligent. We can be not so intelligent. It just like, it depends on the person, the individual. So the whole like dinosaurs are stupid thing I've never bought into because I mean, think, think how big your cat's brain is. That's not, or your dog. They can learn tricks. They can do things. Dogs can open doors. Primates can use tools. Mm-hmm. Birds yeah. can use tools. Primates are in the Bronze Age right now, yeah. right? Yep. Which I think is so cool. Yeah, it's like I'm. It's like uh, Bronze. Uh, I'd say more Stone Age. Uh, I thought they were moving in because now they're starting to do. Um, are they actually starting to do metallurgy? The, no, is that what? I uh, guess, yeah, bron- yeah, Bronze okay. Age is using metals like bronze. Okay. My understanding that they were starting to be decorative and things like that, and that oh, that that's starting, cool. Starting to get into uh, that. So okay, the yeah. the Stone Age. Like birds, crows. 
use tools. They they problem solve. Which is I've yeah. seen videos of that, um, and it's wonderful to watch. I recommend people. I'll put I'll post some links to that on the like using. Um, there there's one. I think it's a crow or a raven. It's one of the. It's a corvid of some type, but it will find nuts it can't open and fly down during uh, fly into a crosswalk while people are walking back and forth and deposit one of these hard open nuts and wait for traffic to drive over the nut and break it, it over and then fly down and eat. It's Love like, it. oh, if I leave that, these small bipedal things won't be able to open it for me, but that large quadruped, you know, quadruped rolling, that'll open it. And it puts it down, a truck drives over it, and it flies down and goes, I'm eating a nut. That's a bird. Hmm. Birds are dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are using tools. <laughs> Is there any proof that that's something interesting to me that that dinosaurs did use tools? No, I've never seen anything anything okay. like that, and uh, nothing that I know of. But it's plausible. I think that's what makes science so exciting is that there's so much more unknown than known. Yeah, that's that's the fun thing. That's the most fun about any science. And that's what science is. It's asking questions to figure out how everything works and why. And that's neat. You, 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 you see something. You see a fact. Like, this, this, this water bottle is crunchy. It's like, that's a fact. So then we have to establish a hypothesis. It's like, why is the, uh, why is the water bottle crunchy? Is it made out of... Like, is it made out of bubble wrap or something like that that makes noise? Um, then you test that hypothesis, you figure out you're wrong, and then you find another one, then you find another one, and then you have this working hypothesis, and then you build a theory around that, and then you incorporate your facts and your laws and all that, and then you have a grand unified theory of water bottles. That's badass. And then a thousand people come and try and disprove you because... Right, because that's what science is. That's what science is. But as long as they're attempting to disprove you according to the rigors of science. Just saying the world is flat because I believe it is stupid. And ignorant. I would go with ignorant. No, you no. Think it's stupid? I think it's just straight. I I have a theory about the flat Earth thing. I think that somebody started that to be funny, and that somebody picked up on it and thought I can get attention with this, and then ran. I think a, a majority of them are either. I've tried to get flat a flat earther on the show, and, and no one will respond to me. Yeah, they don't because they don't like going on other people's shows unless those people are flat earthers. Mm, that's because a shame. Um, they, they don't like to be countered. They don't like to be debated. Um, I mean, I'm in the middle of a huge fight with one and have been for, a, for uh, almost three years now, Eric Dubay. And He's he, anti-dinosaur, too. Or no, he, he thinks that people rode around on dinosaurs, something like that. Uh, he thinks dinosaurs don't exist. Ah. Uh, he thinks the earth is flat. Um, everything is a Jewish conspiracy. And a oh, whole dear, ho- he's anti-Semite, too. He's a whole bunch of things. But Why he- doesn't somebody just put him in a shuttle, send him up to a space station? Oh, because so he's he hiding in Thailand see. right now. But I just feel like if you like if you really believe that stuff, you do all the things that, that exit out. If you yeah. really believe the Earth is flat, okay, you find a way to 
get in a space shuttle. Virgin that, Galactic. Yeah, I mean, pay the money, go when, up and look at the Earth. And that's the thing. When, so, Why are all the other planets round and not Earth? Yeah, right. <laughs> because we're special. Well, aren't we, though? Yeah. Oof. So when, like, when uh, SpaceX's BFR is available for like space cruising or virgin galactic or anything like that absolutely that's going to be easy it's like hell i'll do a gofundme to send a flat earther on with like literally with 24 hour live cameras on them and on the whole thing it's like we will do this i guess my thing with that too not to get way off topic but not to be punny, but what's the point of a flat Earth theory? What? Why do you? Because it goes against the status quo. And that's it. That's it. Oh, it's so boring. And, but that's the thing. Majority of these, they're doing it for notoriety. Sure. They're doing it to make money, like Eric Dubay selling his garbage, and all that. They're they're doing it for attention. And unfortunately, what happened is ever ever since the moon landing, ever since space, and all alleged. That, Right. There have been people that counter it. And this goes back to conspiracy and like you had the um, uh, the face on Mars, for example, from Richard Hoagland and the Enterprise mission stuff. That turned out to be bogus. But science for the longest time just kind of went, oh, that's cute. You over in the corner with all the other cranks. And then the Internet happened. Exactly. And then science didn't step on them early enough. Didn't go, okay, um, you're wrong. This is stupid. This is why it's stupid. Please stop. Instead, it's like, oh, well, we're, sci- we're, we're science. They, they can go over there in the corner and play with all the weird kids and all that. And then the internet happened. And then online forums happened. And Usenet and all that. And then that grew into AOL and CompuServe. And that grew into everything else. And then YouTube. Right. And it's easy to bastardize ideas. And the, the, yes, science has proven wrong a lot. And then new theories are come up with. But that doesn't mean that the science that was thought of, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's still a real yeah. Thing. Yeah, it's like we know what we know until we don't know it anymore, and then we know this thing, and, right. and it keeps and, growing and, and expounding. It doesn't go backward, right? Generally, yeah, that I can tell. It's like, and and the thing is, like we, the the Earth was figured out to be round by Erastathenes two thousand years ago by doing the smart thing of measuring shadows. Math. It's just yeah, math. Just math. There have been five mass extinctions on the planet, yes. and they, they, there's theories that we are now in our sixth math. We've already begun about twelve totally. thousand years ago. It started into the sixth math ex- mass extinction. Mm-hmm. Hard to say that. Um, it's fascinating to me that there's so many people that are saying, "Oh no, no, there's nothing happening with the climate." It's like this <laughs> happens. This happens. Yeah. It's, We've accelerated it because we're human beings and we've mm-hmm. created an industrialized world. Well, that's and blah, the thing. Blah, blah. Yes, the climate was changing. The end of the ice age did occur, but rather than balancing out, it's running away. Mm-hmm. It's like it's it's the same thing as um, like when a lithium when a lithium battery uh, catches fire, it just creates this thermal runaway. That's what's going on with the planet. It's like we are dumping more co2 we are dumping we are changing the climate it's absolute yes we can see where we should be according to previous 
Extinctions. Extinctions and previous ages. Absolutely. And then we're so far past that. It's, and, and, and that's the thing. The science is there. But people will deny it. People will dissuade it. People will ridicule it. And they'll point at inconsequential things like, oh, well, they changed all the graphs. And they, yeah, it's called normalizing. That, that, that happens with graphs all the time. You get new data and you're like, okay, well, then we need to tweak this in order to make the graph work because the new data doesn't work with the previous graph. That That's a normal thing that people who do statistics and graphing and science understand. Science has a problem describing itself to the layperson. It always has. That's where I think a lot of this disconnect is happening between, say, like people in climate or people in science or people in heliocentric theory. Um, oh, God, don't even get me started on that. Um, it's science has a bad way of describing itself. That's why we now have science communicators like my friend Ashley and just all of these people. Carl Sagan did a good job of that. He was like the first, and yeah. it was amazing. Carl Sagan was fantastic. What I loved about Carl Sagan is that he didn't feel patronizing. No, you know, and there's a real vilification of intellect yes. these days. There's, uh, and unfortunately, many of the mouthpieces for science and and cosmology, all that stuff. What's wrong? Oh no, no, I know where you're going. Uh, he just you're... made a face at me. Yeah, no. But um... there is a, a patronizing air to some of these people. He's a dick. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say that per se, yeah. but I do when I don't enjoy. We we know who we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, and I just I don't enjoy. Should we say? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, no, I I have no qualms saying it. I did not like the new cosmos. I do not like he, the way Neil deGrasse Tyson goes after some things. He's just and the thing about him. I feel that is off putting for me. Carl Sagan again was very. He never talked down to anyone. He right. never patronized anyone. And I feel that Neil is like I grew up in this world right. where you talk about things. Science is important, and. Neil deGrasse Tyson gives me, I don't know, I just don't like it. No, I, it's, I know people love him, and it's yeah, just, and maybe I, it's just me. And I well, no, 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 it's it's me as well. And I'm, I'm coming at it from a weird angle. I may seem like a hypocrite for a second, but because I am hyper-combative against science denial. Like, I will go after flat earthers and climate denialists and anti-vaxxers and all that. Like, tooth and nail. Other science communicate. I don't call myself a science communicator because I don't communicate. I'm the tip of the spear. Yeah. I'm there. It's like, I'm the wind-up doll. They wind me up. They're like, Trevor, some guy is saying something bad on the internet. And I'm like, okay. And they wind me up and throw me at him. <laughs> but that's because I pick it. Like, like, I will go against creationism, for example, all the time, but I'm not doing it as an anti-religious thing. I'm doing it because the science dictates and states that the Earth is 4.545 billion years and old. And not 6,000. And not 6,000. And dinosaurs weren't on the Ark and all that. And they didn't have saddles. No. No, right. you can't ride your Triceratops. God, wouldn't that be so cool, It would be amazing. I, I, Dino Riders was a big thing when I was a kid. It's like dinosaurs in armor with lasers. It was amazing. I, I wanted to do that so bad. But I never go after it on a religious 
perspective mm-hmm. because I believe religion is super important to people because there are people it who is are, important. Yeah. There are people who are religious or spiritual. They could be Jewish, Christian, Catholic, Protestant, agnostic, atheist, or in my case, apatheist. Cause I don't care. They, religion does help people. Praying helps people. I mean, Thoughts and prayers, not so much. That's a different thing. But praying does change the the chemistry of the brain. Exactly. It makes you feel better. It makes someone feel better. And I listened to a Joe Rogan episode. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's been on there quite a few times. And I remember I was cleaning my garage when I lived in Nashville. And and Joe Rogan said something about uh, religious people. And Neil deGrasse said, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson said, Oh, they're just basically. I'm paraphrasing. I'm not going to quote, but it was mm-hmm. something to the effect of, "They're all ignorant sods," yeah, you know. Yeah. And I thought that is so rude. Same as Dawkins. People are I can't stand Dawkins. People are allowed to believe what they believe, right. as far as religion and faith and all that. And so I think that was the moment that turned me mm-hmm. off of him. I thought you can be as smart as smart can be, but now you're just being rude. You know, and I don't like that. Yeah. Carl Sagan never did that. No. And and that and that's the thing. It's like, <laughs> I was, he was my first love, okay? Oh, no. That's, uh, <laughs> Him and Spock. <laughs> I, w- I, w- I was down with the Sagan, absolutely. Spock? Yeah. I, I, I was more bearded Spock, though. Oh. Mirror Universe Spock. I don't know. I've had a thing for facial hair for a while. Um, he looked too much like Anton LaVey for me when he had the beard <laughs> with the ears. <laughs> oh, dude. Good point. <laughs> I'm going to ask Ruth about that. Um, Our mutual friend, Ruth. Yes. Uh, who was also on the show. Yes, she which was. was rad. Church of Satan. Yep. Um, see, like, when 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 Tyson went for, uh, like, that, that flat earther, I was like, yeah, dude, go for it. But then it's kind of like, okay, now you're just picking apart a movie gravity for example but pedantically like and and yeah again i sound like a hypocrite because we do it for dinosaurs but there's a different there's a different aspect of this saying that oh sure the space station is traveling the wrong way in order orbit as it's as uh, as it's shown in the movie that is so inconsequential. I agree. And also, if you're getting your science information from a blockbuster movie, there's another issue. Right. You should... I mean, this is the encouragement of the curious mind. Go and do research and not... And when I say do research, I don't mean read one article and call it good. I mean, right. like, deep dive. Yeah. Because some researchers think this, others think that. And then that's when your free will of thought comes in and says, oh, like when I asked you, were dinosaurs cold or hot-blooded? Mm-hmm. And you said undecided yeah because you haven't gathered all the information and some of the information is missing and my big thing with i do believe that everyone is entitled to their own opinion whether i agree with it or not yeah uh i don't for me i don't understand why somebody who believes in an omnipotent being can also uh give that omnipotent being the grace to say that that it decided to create a world you know, six billion, give or take, years mm-hmm. ago, and then create a series of natural events occurring that included in different time periods through five great extinctions and now to be the sixth. Yeah. That that's the natural order of things and that's the way it was intended. Why they have to put the magic around it, which 
magic has its place too. You know, it's, it, it just, uh, I don't know. I, I get very weird about this kind of stuff because I do believe people are entitled to their own opinion. And I do think that stupidity is different than ignorance. Mm -hmm. And many people are ignorant and other people uh, benefit from that ignorance mm -hmm. and financially or in power or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, ig ignorance is your so unknowing a of whole a train. Yeah. <laughs> ignorance is your, you know, your unknowing of a subject. Like I'm ignorant when it comes to, uh, I, I can't read music. Uh, I'm ignorant for that. I don't know how the art industry works. I have friends who are actors. I'm totally ignorant on how that entire world functions. Nobody knows. <laughs> valid but then you have parts where is everybody is entitled to opinion until that opinion is wrong when it's based on faulty data for example flat earthers faulty data yikes that opinion is wrong well just fly in a plane and look out the damn exactly, window it's exactly exactly my thing no, you oh, but, know, no but the curvature the curvature of the window is what's causing the curvature mm. of the earth to appear well right. to appear curved um i would just like to take them out to one of the rifle ranges i go to and have them have to account for the curvature of the earth when doing any of the extreme long distance shooting that i do like I, I have a rifle that goes out to 1,800 meters. I have to adjust for not just the curvature of the Earth, but the rotation of the Earth itself. Whether I'm facing north, south, east, or west, I have to be off target at X amount. Because I'm literally firing around and the Earth is turning into turning the target into the bullet. You can only do that with a round spinning earth, but it's super easy. Like, I'm annoyed that the planet isn't triangular. I <laughs> I used to play D and D as a kid. Like you know the there's a shock. <laughs> yeah, right. Twenty sided die. That'd be right. It's like Earth is a twenty sided die. Um, it, it's kind of like uh, Magrathea and the the um, the planet creators and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's like donut shaped Earth. Cube Thanks for Earth. the fish. Yep, there you go. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, we're so far. Oh, off so topic, wild but, off topic. But let's get back to you. How about so <laughs> now that we've you know totally well, thrown old Neil under the bus? I just I'm not. A, I, I interviewed his sister on the podcast. And she's wonderful. And it's funny because she never says him by name, but mm -hmm. she talks about her big brother. Yeah. You know, and she, I get the feeling she's not a huge fan. <laughs> but, I mean, and that's the thing, like like I was saying, um, I, I kind of sound like a hypocrite because one person will rip a space movie apart because of the, right. because of the perceived fun, orbit. But when it comes to Jurassic Park, it's so full of inaccuracies. Right. But there's the, the biggest difference is this. People aren't going to watch that space movie and go into the California Science Center and look at the shuttle and go, oh, like in gravity and at the space station and all of that. People will go into a natural history museum and see a skeleton of a velociraptor and then say, but in Jurassic Park, they're so much larger. Hmm. The reason why is... Jurassic Park has technical consultants that are paleontologists that just kind of go, yeah, okay, go for it. And more than that, 
dinosaurs are so massive pop culture objects. That is true. <clears throat> Mammoths, saber-toothed cats. I mean, for example, T-Rex is a yeah. you, pull, you know throw a rock and hit a person in a shirt with a T-Rex on it. Right, like Jurassic Park T-Rex. Oh, it only don't move. It only senses movement. Bullshit. One, its visual cortex was so damn big it could see in the dark. And two, it had massive olfactory senses. It has a huge nose. Mm -hmm. It could probably sniff you like a handful of football fields away and go, all right, where are you? Oh, you're in the car. Okay, cool. And in modern times, right, our mammals have incredible senses of smell. Our Mm -hmm. dogs and our Mm -hmm. cats. And dogs can sniff out cancer, for God's sake. Yeah, dogs. Horrible sense of taste. That's why they eat really gross things. Great sense of smell. Hey, poo is not that bad. Well, no, but it's like they have some like... I read some... Oh, God, I forgot the number, but it was some like 88 taste buds. That's it. Like something so small. Like dogs are just kind of like, I like texture. Yeah. And and But smell is amazing for them. Like they can smell color. <laughs> Badass. <laughs> like, oh, he's wearing a purple shirt today. That's so great. But yeah, dinosaurs, <laughs> like a, a tyrannosaur, has a huge nose. It could just smell you. It's like, it's like, don't move. It won't see us. That's oh, It'll just walk right up to you and go, yeah, okay. Chomp. As it's looking at you the whole time going, your dinner. And But those kinds of discrepancies is like, you're not going to go and argue with an astrophysicist about how the black hole in Interstellar looks. You will argue with a paleontologist because <laughs> the Jurassic Park, those dinosaurs didn't have feathers. Why are you telling me Velociraptor has feathers? Don't you think they would have put a scientifically accurate animal in those movies? It's no, just the movies, they wouldn't kids. have. Yeah, yeah but it's that, just the movies. But they treat it so so strongly. All right, is it a unified theory that uh, Comet wiped out the dinosaurs? Is that uh, yeah, big, really big asteroid between seven and ten uh, miles across hit the Yucatan Peninsula right around sixty-six million, sixty-six and a half million years ago, and uh, basically released hell on Earth. Um, if, for example, if the asteroid hit downtown LA today, that same asteroid, uh, it would be a 282 mile an hour wind that would hit you in New York. The thermal in the crater would go from just south of Santa Barbara to, I think, almost San Diego. The thermal envelope would wipe out. I think as deep as Arizona and oh yeah, like horror show on the planet and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of tens of thousands of tons of sediment would be thrown into the atmosphere and throw us into a nuclear age or uh, the equivalent of a nuclear winter. Um, Yeah. Hell on earth. Which basically means for anyone that doesn't know, it means that no sun getting through to grow things or give us no oxygen, no... But even more than that, everything that goes into the atmosphere comes down in a big fiery ball. Ah, yes. So you've got worldwide uh, worldwide firestorms, Mm. hurricane force winds. It, it, It kills a planet. And it killed almost everything on the surface. Is that sci-fi right? Neil Stevenson? Uh, Which is the one where they all have to... There's a giant asteroid coming and they all... I always get Stevenson and... um, Great writer. Yeah, Crypto. Crypto is like one of my favorite books. 
Um, I always get him and Gibson confused. I'm like, wait, Gibson was Snow Crash. No, uh, no. No, it's no, definitely uh, Stevenson. I'm probably wrong, and you're probably wrong. Yeah, I've got just, a pile of books. I get to meet him in Bellingham, Washington. He did a read. Lucky. It's really cool. Oh, that's really right. Cool guy. Nice guy. Delightful. My, my really good energy. F- my friend got my copy of Cryptonomicon signed and because I couldn't make the signing. Hmm. And yeah, I, man, that sucks. What a mind. Oh, oh yeah. Love it so much. Um, really, I know that I don't want to take your whole day. I got nothing to do until like five o'clock. <laughs> the people listening are like, we do. We got shit to do. <laughs> then hit pause and come back later. <laughs> My dad doesn't listen to the show. I was like, dad, not, I mean, it's been on for three years. And he said, I don't have that kind of time. I've got things to do. I'm like, you know, you can hit pause and come back later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just doesn't listen. It's fine. He's got things. Um, you work, you work at the museum that is, the, the, you're at the Librae Carpet. I set? used to be. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, no longer. Part. I'm in the uh, I'm in private sector now, doing mitigation paleontology. Oh, I work you for different. That. Okay. I work for different uh, environmental consulting firms. Okay. And get sent out whenever there's large construction projects that may impact fossils. All right. Well, then that throws off my question. I'm going to ask it anyway. Do it, it is my understanding that for anyone that is interested, and as soon as you hit 16, you can start volunteering. Absolutely. So let's talk about that just for a second, because if we've piqued anyone's interest, oh, I think it would so, be great. And to that, that's the amazing thing. So the minimum requirements to volunteer at the La Brea Tar Pits. So in case any of your listeners haven't gone there, and uh, it may, or maybe those that in, you have, in places in your own hometowns. For absolutely. For this this may apply to museums all. All over yeah. but specifically for the tar pits so you have the Librea tar pits that are on the outside and then you have the page museum which is the museum of everything that is that was found in the pits inside all the guns all the- <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> guns a car and no um all the fossils um and there's actually some other like some native stuff has been found um early indigenous uh, yeah indigenous yeah like pre-shumash and tongva and all that which is really cool um, there's even been a human found nearby, a La Brea woman. But all of that is worked on in a visible lab. So it's a lab that's surrounded by 60 feet of soundproof glass, mostly soundproof. Don't tap on the glass, please. When you go into the museum, you walk up to the paleo lab, and there are people in there, in the fishbowl, cleaning fossils. And they're cleaning, like, the tooth of a saber-toothed cat or a mammoth foot or all of this random stuff. They're getting all the asphalt off of it. And all but four people there are volunteers. And the minimum requirements are 16 and breathing. <laughs> so as soon as you're 16, you can contact the tar pits, see if, they're, uh, if they have volunteer, if the, uh, the, uh, they're accepting volunteers at the time. And you can go in, have your interview, do the whole thing. And if you're chosen, you get to start cleaning fossils. First, you start sorting through little piles of rocks, looking for microfossils, like bits of bugs, tiny little mouse bones, mouse teeth, uh, bird claws. Incredible that you can find that stuff, by the way. Oh, yeah. Because it, we're not just going for the big bone. We're s- so every time... A, a, <laughs> Speak for yourself, but... <laughs> Sorry, well. that was so hard not to. <laughs> As we transition to dating in LA, garbage. Oh, that's a whole other freaking podcast. God damn. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> An overrated scientist trying to find a date in LA. That's tough. Um, anyway, volunteering at the pits. Um, <laughs> 
um, first you start microfossil sorting and then you graduate to cleaning bones and literally it's like, oh, here, this is a leg bone from a golden eagle or this is um, uh, this is a pelvis from a dire wolf or something like that. And then you get other projects like, oh, here, it's now your job to clean this entire skull of a saber-toothed cat and then put it back together with glue and do things like that, which is awesome. After you do about 80 hours of that, then you can go out to Pit 91 or Project 23, the two current ex excavations go on, and help them excavate it. And that's when it gets really funky and fun. So badass. Because when you're out there excavating, so you're like laying on your stomach, digging through Pit 91 with a very small dental pick and all that, scraping asphalt away, and then all of a sudden you see this glint of bone, you're the first human to ever lay eyes on that bone. And then you lick it. I wouldn't lick it if it's still in the asphalt. <laughs> Licking, f we know they're fossils in the pits. It's You have to figure out if it's a fossil that's been mineralized. Those are the ones you lick. And yeah, we do lick bones. I know. Not, yeah. <laughs> that's so weird. <laughs> people are just like, what? Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, I've taken people on fossil expeditions just for shits and giggles, like up to uh, like Red Rock Canyon and stuff like that. Like, oh, see this bone scatter that used to be a fossil. This is how you check. And you bend down, you pick up a piece of, uh, you know, bone shard, you stick it on your tongue. If it sticks, it's a fossil or possibly mineral, uh, some sort of mineral or even bone. But it's definitely bone or was bone at some point if it sticks to your tongue. And people weird out. I'm sure. Yeah. And there's always the coprolite trick, too, where you hand it to them. You're like, smell it. You know, rub your hands on it. Do you smell anything? Is it kind of weird? Was it like, really get up close? Okay, yeah, you're holding fossil poo, and they flip out. It's <laughs> like, ah, ew, it's poo. it's poo. Yeah, well, it's a rock. And the one dog says, are you going to eat that? Yeah, right. <laughs> So the exciting news is, is if you start as a volunteer, you could work your way up into being a person that's on digs and things. And that's Absolutely. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. But all, all museums, well, I won't speak for all museums, but Maybe. every museum I can think of has a volunteer program. And that's the thing. If you work your way up to it, and if you do something like, say, through the ROM, the Royal Ontario Museum of Toronto, or Drumheller in Alberta, or the Field Museum, or Cleveland, where my friend Lee works, or anything like Hi. that. Hi, Lee. Lee Hall. It's going out to you and Ashley. Two of the best science communicators I know. Holy crap. Great. They, they do more for science than any like anyone I know of. That, there's a whole crew of them, like Bethany and and I'll have uh, to Nicole get you to and, send me links so that I can put that on the links page. Oh, I have an entire Twitter like army of people that people need to follow. Great. Like Dr. Rachel Burks, all these people. They're send, so send amazing. Send me a list and I'll put it on Hey Human Podcast. Right on. Yeah. Um, but all of those museums, yeah, you, you volunteer long enough. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, hey, um, we have to go dig out a Tyrannosaur in Montana. Can you come along? It's great. We're going to be gone for six weeks mm -hmm. and it's going to be backbreaking work, but you're going to be seeing things that literally no human has ever seen before. So because exciting. the moment you sweep off that amount of matrix, you're the first person, you're the first human, especially when it comes to something like a Tyrannosaur, because we were just small tree shrews at that point. There was nothing like a primate back then. Mm -mm. And you're like, holy crap. That's not to say we're monkeys. Just so No, apes, uh, not monkeys. 
we're not, you know, proto-human, not, yeah. not chimpanzee. Yeah, no, no. I just think it's important to always repeat that because it's an argument that people use to say that, well, well, you think we were monkeys? Like, no, I do not. No, but, no, we're but primates. But we, it's important yeah. distinction. It's oh, absolutely. Like, and see, now I just sounded like an asshole patronizing. But I think it's important. It's well, like, no, no, it's no. a very... But that's the thing. That's science. That's, that's science's fault. Because you have the poster of, like, Australopithecus to something, to something that looks vaguely chimp-like to human. Well, that's not how it worked. It's not linear. Evolution is this big flowing it even tree. Went backward a little bit. Too. Yeah, so, absolutely. Which is also something to. And know. it's like, no, we did not evolve from chimps. Chimps and humans evolved from a common ancestor, which evolved from a previous ancestor, previous all the way back to Lucy and Artie and you know Australopithecus and Artipithecus right. and all of that. And DNA is fascinating. And the banana you ate today before your run. We're also related to. How'd you know I ate a banana today? <laughs> I know all things. <laughs> Get out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> what is some of the coolest? Uh, what's something that's at the very top? Well, we'll end on this as well as your contact information. Um, but what is the coolest or weirdest something that pops in your brain that you have personally come across in your travels and uncoveries, oh. discoveries? Wow. I mean, there's. That's that's hard. It's always like, what's your favorite dinosaur? That's a hard one. What's the coolest thing you've ever found? Um, or just something that pops in your head. Well, I mean, like, like I mean, yeah, I, I already talked about like finding a whale rib cage in downtown LA is cool. That's rad. Finding a frozen mammoth is really cool. Um, but one of the neatest things I found. It's actually really dear to me. I, I studied horned lizards, and I even have a tattoo of one. Um, uh, some horny toads, people will know them like that. Um, cute little fat lizards with spikes on their heads. I found a a, a horn uh, a, a sipital, a part of part of the crown of thorns, pretty much on a, a on a horn toad. In the tar pits, I was searching through through material, and I found one. I looked at it. And I'm like. That's that's a head crown of a horn horn lizard, and then I found the uh, the outer part of the skull. I had a complete ring, and I knew exactly what species it was because I'd studied them, and I was able to immediately identify it as platy rhinos. And then the somebody else at the museum is like, "Oh, well, the only other specimen of that that it was ever found was from 1954." Or something like, I'm like, wait, I'm sorry, what? And like, oh, yeah, here. And they went in the back, deep into the catalog, and bring it out. And I hadn't, ex I, I was still super new as the lab supervisor there. And I'm just like, whoa, I didn't have a chance to go through the whole reptile collection. And being a herpetologist, it was kind of my deal. And they brought it out. I'm like, holy crap, I just found the second one confirming that it was a species, therefore, at the tar pits. Because if you find one, that can be completely anecdotal. You find one. Minimum number of in individual one, that's not a population. Two is a population. So I confirmed like my, my main focus of study at the pits to the point where I could identify the species. 
And that was amazing. That's lovely. And then just started finding a butt ton more because I could identify what that bit was <laughs> because our herpetologist hadn't gone through that except for rattlesnakes. And then I reorganized the rattlesnakes and all that. I, I went in, I'm like, yay! I got to use all of my fun lizard stuff and snakes and all that and help fix some catalog errors. But it was just like, Going through that matrix with a little paintbrush and moving rocks around and going, wait a minute, that looks like a horned lizard spine. That's another one. Oh, no, I've got a whole skull here. What the hell? And then just hearing, oh, hey, we had one of those back in the 50s. And, and again, the fact that you found a whole skull is, yeah, it seems astronomical. Right? Yeah, exactly. And then I tur it turns out that um, the person that found the, the parts of the skull back in like 54 was like a legend in the horn lizard community but he could never confirm it because there was only one and it was only a partial part of a skull and here we are with like all horn lizard skull and it matches perfectly i'm like yay that. that's so cool yeah that was it's and it's sometimes it's the smallest thing um it doesn't have to be like a you know it doesn't have to be uh utah ceratops or a huge sauropod, or a T-Rex, or even a whale rib cage, or a megalodon tooth. Uh, it's something as small as a horned lizard skull and going, damn, I just found something and I just solved a puzzle. Wonderful. I love that. Yeah, it's so much it's fun. It's neat to see the joy on your face oh, yeah. and talk about it, too. It's so much fun. Yeah. How can people find you if they have questions um, or want to harass you? <laughs> well, uh... <laughs> so your Instagram, I know, is Tattoos and Bones. That's also my Twitter handle. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, and that's all I have. Is it I don't... tattoos and the S on both the tattoo and the bone, right? Uh, it's, uh, no, no, no ampersand. It's spelled out. T-A-T-T-O-O-S-A-N-D-B-O-N-E-S. Okay. Tattoos and Bones. Got it. Uh, that's, um... Uh, that's uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram. I don't have Facebook. I deleted it back in 2011. Okay. Yay. <laughs> I don't do that. Uh, I don't do Facebook. But, um, yeah. And if somebody wants you to come maybe speak at their school or do a video conference with the kids or oh, any of that stuff. Uh, that's super easy. Just email me, tattoosandbones at gmail.com. Oh, perfect. And, yeah. I'll, again, I'll put all that stuff on right the on. women's link page. Trevor, this is a delightful. It was so much fun. <laughs> So much fun. I really enjoyed it. I want it. to come back. Yay! Well, you know, go discover some stuff. Come back and talk about All it. Right. I love it. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, you should come to one of the talks. I We've, would love that. Um, October 1st. I'm uh, here. I'm in town. Cool. Are you going to be in San Diego? Because it's Nerd, that's it's, far. It's, it's Nerd Night San Diego, October 1st. It's at 32 North Brewing. And so we were ta just talking about the asteroid impact. Mm. Dr. Erin McDonald, I like to call her the tattooed gravity queen. Uh, she's a doctor of space time, literally. <sighs> oh, that gave me the shivers. That's yeah, she oh. is awesome, and she should also do the podcast. Oh, heck yeah, Erin. Erin is one of my dearest friends. Oh. For years, we wanted to do a talk called Death from Space. I love it. All the things from space that have led to mass extinctions that are leading to mass extinctions or could kill us again. And we finally got to do the first part of it at uh, Nerd Night Los Angeles uh, a couple months ago. And then we did an hour-long presentation at uh, Dragon Con this past September. But October 1st at Nerd Night San Diego, it is Death from Space Part 1 and 2. 
Okay. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, uh, it's gonna be awesome. I'm gonna look at my calendar, but it for sure let people since oh, yeah. it's gonna come out next week or t- tomorrow. I haven't figured it out yet. One of these days. <laughs> so yeah, check out nerd. Uh, check out um, Nerd Night San Diego, and also look for Nerd Night near you because they're worldwide. Try saying and that five times really. Fast. Nerd Night near you. Nerd yeah. Night you. No, I I failed that. But Nerd Night's a really cool thing. Very I, cool. I do talks at Nerd Night LA a lot. And yeah, I do public speaking all the time. And your buddy's a, one of my heroes, Neil. Mm, mm-hmm. Neil's a good cat. Good uh, known him for lots of years. Oh. Yeah, not not DeGrasse Tyson, but Gaiman. Yes. Um, he's a cool dude. Freaking love him. I'm trying. I'm trying to get on a. I, I want to be an extra in a. Um, uh, one of my friends is uh, Bruce Langley. From uh, I met him last year. At, uh, not this year, but last year at Dragon Con. Um, and he plays uh, the technical boy in the American Gods show on Stars. I uh, love that book so much. American Gods is so good. Uh, I'm kind of an inspiration for the technical boy in the book. What? Because I was running Neil's website at the time. Oh, so cool. And it was really funny uh, when um, I went to Dragon Con and I met Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> took a selfie and I texted Neil. I'm like, your two technical boys are together. Uh, and then Bruce and I came up with the idea. It's like, he wouldn't, he's like, Trevor, you should be on the show. And I'm like, oh uh, yeah, can I please? I just want to be in the background in like one of Bruce's scenes. I agree. Um, but you yeah, make that happen. I wish. I don't think he's show running for American Gods anymore, unfortunately. Oh. Um, but Big fan. Big holy fan. crap. Good Omens was awesome. Oh yeah. That, Neil's, that book was phenomenal. He yeah. wrote that book with, uh, Pratchett. Terry Pratchett, yeah, yeah, who I also adore. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so good. But uh, Neil, Neil is a very good friend of mine, and Aww. he's very cool. Well, tell him hello from me. Little old me thinks he's incredible. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you. It's really been a joy. This is a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. Thanks.